Lord Jesus, thank you so much <clears throat> that our hope is not in ourselves. Thank you that instead our hope is in Christ. Please speak a word to our hearts now of that hope. Amen. About two years ago, it was time for our family to go on vacation. And we were going with two friends of ours, and we knew that we wanted to get somewhere out into nature. So we went to the great state of Montana, and from there, took a three-day excursion up to one of my favorite places on God's green earth. It is a place called Lake Louise, located in Banff National Park in Alberta, Canada, very close to British Columbia. And it is so beautiful. I remember a number of times going there when I was growing up. We used to drive, my family did, from Michigan, where I grew up at Andrews University, Berrien Springs, where Pastor Jeff is this morning, braving the cold. I'm very familiar with that cold. And we used to drive from there to British Columbia, where we have a lot of family, and so we often would stop at Banff for a time to enjoy it. And on this excursion, it was magnificent. Not only was the lake beautiful, but we decided to spend one day hiking up on the trails around Lake Louise. On this trip, we went about halfway up and then went to a place called the Beehive, which is an outcropping of rock from which you have a commanding view of the valley below. You can see this beautiful glacier-fed lake called Lake Louise. The mountain peaks surround you, the ruggedness and yet the beauty of the natural surroundings. And I remember as we were coming down that hike at the end of the day, I was walking next to my son, Joshua, who was then about seven years old. And as we were walking through this uh, down the main trail, we came across a stand of pine trees. And the aroma that was coming from the pine trees was almost intoxicating, mixed with that glorious mountain air that just felt so uplifting. And in that moment, wanting to engage my young son in the beauty of the moment, I said, Joshua, what do you smell? So Joshua took a deep breath, let it out. Then he paused for a moment and he said, Daddy, it smells like peace to me. Sorry if you caught that. It smells like peace to me. Voice is cracking a little here. I thought about that for a moment and I said, you know, Josh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. It does smell like peace. In addition to that, it feels like peace and looks like peace. And I don't know about you, but my experience when I get out into nature is that feeling of peace. Anyone understand or can relate to that this morning? I'm glad to hear that because this week... I had a chance to read an article from National Geographic. In fact, it's from the current issue of the magazine, just came out this month, an article by Florence Williams, and it it is called, This is Your Brain on Nature. 
This is your brain on nature. I have to thank, by the way, Evan Chesney for sending this article to me. It's a magnificent uh, article, and I highly recommend you take a few minutes to read it. It's available online as well as in the magazine. And the subtitle of this article kind of summarizes the whole point, and this is the subtitle. When we get closer to nature, be it untouched wilderness or a backyard tree, we do our overstressed brains a favor. And that gives a great summary of what this article is about because it really looks at the benefits that come to our brain when we spend time in nature and conversely, the negative impact that, our, that it has on our minds when we do not get enough time in nature. Now, this article introduces you right away to a researcher by the name of David Strayer. Dr. Strayer is a cognitive psychologist at the University of Utah who specializes in attention and distraction in the brain. And one of the things that Dr. Strayer likes to do is, for his research, is he takes groups of people out into the wilderness for an extended period of time, and then he monitors, through various means, the response of the brain to being in nature for extended periods. Speaking about this effect, he's coined a term that he calls the three-day effect. Dr. Strayer believes that spending three days in nature has a kind of cleaning effect on the mental windshield. Now, you can picture what this is like. You know when you've spent maybe a couple of weeks driving around in your car and maybe haven't had an opportunity to wash the car and maybe especially the windshield? You might have some dirt, some grime, various things that build up on the windshield. And as you try to look through it, you can see, but it's not a very clear picture. And it's not until you take a little bit of that washer fluid, squirt it on the windows, get the windshield wipers going, that it gives you a clear view. And that's how Dr. Strayer says that spending several days in nature, it has that kind of an effect on the brain. It kind of clears the windshield. In fact, speaking of his own experience, he had this to say, on the third day, my senses recalibrate, talking about being in nature. I smell things and I hear things that I didn't before. I'm more in tune with nature. If you can have the experience of being in the moment for two or three days, it seems to produce a difference in qualitative thinking. Now, when I read that, I realized I really resonate with what Dr. Strayer is saying. For the last 20 years or so, uh, I make it a habit to spend one weekend a month where I go out on a, a kind of um, spiritual retreat weekend. It's a three-day weekend where I go and try to get as close to nature as I can and be somewhere that I can spend most of my day in nature spending time praying and studying and, and things like that. And what I've, what I've noticed is very much what Dr. Strayer is talking about in this article. It takes me about 48 hours, I find, just to sort of calm, have a calm spirit uh, in my heart. 
And I don't know if that's because of a buildup from the stress or the problems or the various things that I've been dealing with previously, but it takes about 48 hours to just sort of flush that from the system. And it's not until the third day that I really feel that sense of peace and calm and, in fact, almost a new way of thinking or qualitative thinking, as Dr. Strayer describes here. Now, Dr. Strayer has a hypothesis about this, and he says that being in nature, he believes, allows the prefrontal cortex, which is the brain's command center, to dial down and rest, kind of like an overused muscle, right? In fact, he says this, our brains aren't tireless three-pound machines. They're easily fatigued. When we slow down, stop the busy work, and take in the beautiful natural surroundings, not only do we feel restored, but our mental performance improves as well. So you can imagine, this is a kind of terminology that we often use, you know, use your mental muscle. And what Dr. Strayer is saying here is that our mental muscles are not too much different from our other muscles in our body. And in fact, those muscles need rest. They need a break. But the way to get that break for our mental muscles isn't always the way we might think. Sleep certainly is one way, although researchers, many of them now believe that our minds are extremely active during sleep. And so, in fact, it is coming into nature, into contact with nature, that gives us a kind of mental rest. National Geographic, in this magazine, actually takes it a step further than going out into nature, but actually says that even looking at pictures of nature can have an effect. Listen to this quote. Researchers used functional MRIs to watch brain activity in people viewing different images. When the volunteers were looking at urban scenes, okay, so this is when they were looking at pictures that you would naturally see around a city or let's say a man-made environment, right? So when people are looking at these kinds of scenes, their brains showed more flow of blood in the amygdala, which processes fear and anxiety. Interesting. In contrast to that, the natural scenes lit up the anterior cingulate and the insula, which are areas associated with empathy and altruism. And I like the way this quote ends. Maybe nature makes us nicer as well as calmer. Do you believe that? Nature could make you nicer as well as calmer. Now, this theory that science is now looking at more carefully and studying more thoroughly is uh, actually several decades old, and it was first postulated by a uh, team of researchers, Rachel and Stephen Kaplan at the University of Michigan. They are environmental psychologists, and they called their theory attention restoration theory. And it essentially just means that, that we find that people can concentrate better after spending time in nature or even looking at nature scenes. Now, I like this quote from Dr. Doctors Kaplan. Imagine a therapy that has no known side effects was readily available and could improve your cognitive functioning at zero cost. It exists, 
and it's called interacting with nature. Interacting with nature. Science is now calling this a kind of therapy, going into nature, a kind of therapy for the mind and the body. Now, does this surprise you that that science is now validating some of these findings of being in nature? It shouldn't if you studied the story of creation. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We want to take a look at something from chapter 2 in the book of Genesis. Now, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that today is actually the third part of an eight-part series on creation health which is a lifestyle approach to holistic health that is founded on this biblical story of creation. And two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jeff Patterson took us through the letter C. And in that, he showed us an example from the life of Lot, which was Abraham's nephew, of the power of continually making negative choices or of poor choices and how we can live better as a result of making positive choices. Last week, Pastor Patterson had us look at the R in creation health, which is rest, and unpacked for us the story of Elijah and Jonah, two men of God who became so fatigued in their ministry and their work that it severely affected their ministry and their outlook on life. And by extension, how we need rest just as much as prophets of God do today, right? So today, that brings us to the E in environment. And as we turn to the book of Genesis, it made me think as I read this whole creation story of a time a little over nine years ago when my wife and I were first preparing for the birth of our twins, Sarah and Joshua. It had been 10 years in the making. We had tried, longed for, and wanted children, and God eventually blessed us and granted us those children, and when we knew that they were on the way, we wanted to prepare specially for their arrival. So, like many new parents, we created or we set aside a nursery space in our home. And in that nursery space, we wanted to make sure that we had the softest carpet for our kids so that as they were learning to walk and they stood and fell, they wouldn't hurt themselves. We wanted to make sure that the environment was just right. And so we repainted the walls, but we went a step further and actually hired a local painter who came and painted murals on the walls. We had pictures of trees and flowers and vines and and small animals and creatures on the wall because we wanted the kids to enjoy that space. We went and picked out two cribs that we thought after numerous amounts of research would be just the right cribs for these twins. Then, of course, we filled them with stuffed animals because we wanted them to have something soft to cuddle with at night and not feel alone. So that preparation that we went through for our twins to come, I get kind of flashbacks or feelings of that when reading through this story of creation. 
you, you get the feeling that God is this wonderful parent anticipating the arrival of his first two children, and he wanted to create just the right environment. But instead of carpeting, God was able to provide something better, a beautiful carpet of grass. And instead of painted trees on a wall, he was able to create marvelous, real, and magnificent trees and flowers and foliage. And instead of just a painted sky overhead, God was able to put the real thing in place for these kids that were on the way. And instead of stuffed animals, he had real animals for them to be a part of and to play with. And that's the context of this story of creation. You get the feeling that God is creating this this beautiful space for his kids in which they can grow and thrive. And it's into that setting that we want to take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, and also verse 15. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version this morning. Whatever version you brought is just fine. And if you'd like, you can follow along uh, on the monitor as well. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life. And the man became a living being. Now, the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and that were good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And on to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it or and to take care of it. You see... In this creation account, not only this ideal environment that God has made for us, but also the connection that human beings have to nature. After all, God took a scoop of earth, of dust, and formed the first man as he then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the, the breath of life, rather. And so this in my mind, provides this kind of connection that we have to nature, for we actually come from nature and from God, and it is a part of us. It also strikes me that God chose to put us in such a natural environment. After all, God could have chosen to put us in any environment that he chose. Scripture, for example, speaks about mansions being in heaven, God could have easily created a magnificent mansion for Adam and Eve to be able to be in. Or he might have taken them and put them into a great city. Scripture speaks about the New Jerusalem, and there are probably other cities that are uh, in the celestial, um, in heaven as well. God certainly could have put them in a city, but instead he chose to put them in Eden, a garden that he planted by hand for them. This, in my mind, shows God's love and care for each of us, that nature is something that we are to be a part of. And even with the fall, when the fall came, 
The beauty that nature brings to us provides this connection back to God the Father himself. It's at this point that I have to make a confession. Last night, I was a bit derailed uh, or maybe sent in a different direction. For the last several days, as I've been preparing for our time together this morning, I've been spending a lot of time doing research about this connection between humans and nature. And there's a lot of science out there. We shared a little bit this morning, but there's a lot more science out there that shows that when we step into nature, it changes our physiology, our mind. And so I wanted to present even more of these facts to you this morning. Part of my job that I do on a day-by-day basis is, is doing writing and editing for books. And I grew up at a university with a father who's a university professor, and so I love facts and figures. I love seeing what the latest research is about and, and being able to unpack that and show how there's amazing things that science is now discovering that has been there all along for us in Scripture that God has placed there. So I actually have several more pages of notes that I wanted to present to you this morning about this important connection. And I have about a page and a half of tips of things that I wanted to present to you on things that you and I can do to incorporate more nature into our day-by-day life. But last evening, as I was reviewing my notes for our time together this morning, I received a text a text from a prayer partner of mine who had been praying for me for the last several days. And in this text, he said something rather interesting. He said, Todd, tomorrow, he said, you are to be the instrument only. Let God speak through you and for you. When I got that text, I thought, you know, That's an interesting thought. I need to talk with God about that. And so my family had just a few moments before gone to bed, and I was alone to go through my notes, and instead I slipped on my shoes, put on a coat, went outside, and and strolled a few feet down to a green space that we have in our neighborhood. It's kind of an open field area. And I don't know if any of you happened to be outside last night, but it was a beautiful evening with nearly a full moon and beautiful stars. And as I spent a few moments in nature, I prayed and asked God, and I said, Lord, what is the message that you would like presented tomorrow? What is most important? Because there is certainly amazing documented science about the benefits for human beings and how we can be in this natural environment and the healing effect that it has. But I said, God, what is it that you want to communicate? And though I don't believe that God spoke audibly to me out loud, in my heart, I felt as though my creator was saying to me, Todd, it's all about relationship. It's about relationship. This Eden environment 
that God created? Yes, it was necessary because Adam and Eve needed a place to live. But it was about also a parent wanting to connect with their child that they love. You know, as much as my wife and I wanted to create a wonderful environment for a nursery space for our two twins, it wasn't really about the space. It was really about relationship. It was about the anticipation, the joy that we were looking forward to, this, this time that we wanted to spend together with these two young ones that were coming into our life. And we know from Scripture, from this account, that God must have had those same kinds of thoughts because Scripture tells us that God would come to Adam and Eve. He would come to the garden in the cool of the evening and he would walk and talk with his children. It was about relationship. And I believe that that is what, despite all of the wonderful science telling us the benefits that nature has for you and I, I believe that in the end, it is about a connection to our Creator and the connection that He would have with us. So I want to ask you this. Is there a way that you and I could find a space in our busy lives to be able to escape into nature? Maybe it's just for a few minutes. Maybe it's for a few hours. Maybe it's for a few days. But could we find a way to escape into nature and talk with our Creator? You know, when I think about... <clears throat> some of the great men and women in the scriptures. It astonishes me to think how often God spoke to some of the heroes of our faith and, did, and doing it in nature. I think of Abraham, for example, how he went out under the stars and looked up into the sky and God gave him this magnificent promise that he would be a great nation. I think about Jacob and how Jacob, even despite his, his scared run that he was running away from his brother, he stopped and he slept under the stars with a stone for a pillow and God gave him a vision of angels ascending and descending and gave Jacob a promise. I think about Moses who may have wondered if, if his time had passed, if his opportunity for making an impact for God's kingdom was, was gone. And instead, God came to him in the wilderness, spoke to him through a burning bush. Maybe you or I might be like Elijah, who was out in nature longing for a word from the Lord, and the Lord came, but he came not in a great wind. He came not in a mighty earthquake, not even in fire, but instead in a still, small voice. 
Or maybe you and I could follow the example of Christ himself, whose scripture tells us would get up early in the morning and go to a place of solitude where he could commune, where he could talk with his heavenly father, where he could be encouraged, where he could get instruction, a word for what he needed that day. Maybe you and I could be like that. Listen, I know we live in a world that is full of distractions. We have distractions from the work that we have to do, the families that we have to take care of. Many of us have little distractions that we even carry around in our pockets with us or our purses. We get distracted by all of the different things that are trying to grab our attention throughout the day. And I have to wonder if our Creator is not waiting, waiting to see if we would take a few moments to step out into nature. Maybe, it's, maybe if things are busy, it's just stepping out into a courtyard nearby that has a, has a, a water fountain. Maybe it's seeing if there's a, a small path behind the building where you work to see if you could take a few minutes break during the day and walk and talk with your creator. Maybe it's simply gazing at a picture of nature which science shows us can have a measurable effect on our health. Maybe it's just admiring the beauty of a natural picture, thanking God and praising him in our heart. But it's that moment of connection to nature and to the God of nature who created us that I believe his heart is longing for. I know it's what my wife's and my heart were longing for when we were envisioning that nature. So today, tomorrow, this next week and in the weeks to come, why not take a chance to step aside into nature and to lift our hearts to our Father who created that space for us and bring that connection of his heart and our heart together. Dear Lord, God of nature, Thank you for creating this space for us to rest, to rejuvenate, this space that rejuvenates us so well. But Lord, above all that, may we take that time to connect with you, our God, and may you speak to our hearts of the hope and the future that we have. Amen.